everyone and welcome to another edition of the Landlord and Tenant Podmas, the only podcast that has the balls to ask the question, can a landlord and tenant be buddies? Hi everybody, I'm one of your hosts, I'm Landlord James. And I'm the other co-host, my name is Tenant Mike, and yes, we're back again for another fun episode under uh, less than ideal circumstances because James and I are... Once again, sheltering in place during this global pandemic. That's right. What is this? Our Is this our fourth quarantined episode? I think it might I be. I think it is. Yes, it's been a month. I think it is. It's been a month since... That's right. Yeah. Our la- Yeah, since Chris Locke was over. Mm-hmm. That was our last one in a free world. He was our last guest that we we sat in the same room with and and you know yes, close enough that we could all, him. we smelled him yeah we could yeah mm. yeah we we probably touched him mm-hmm. on his arm or shoulder when he came in like hey buddy yes uh but no now we are locked away we're quarantining we're social distancing I'm at Mike's apartment because yep. uh, my house is under police investigation for mm-hmm. a dead butler so I'm crashing at Mike's and um. As we've been doing the last few weeks, Mike and I are not taking this easy. We're not just, oh, we're both sharing the apartment willy-nilly. We've divided up the apartment. Absolutely. Yeah. I am, um, I guess, the lord of the toilet. I have been, Mm -hmm. uh, I'm quarantining within the four walls of the bathroom. It's not a big space. Uh, it's It's a sink and a bathtub and a toilet jammed together into basically four by six feet of space. And I'm sitting here on the toilet with my laptop on my on my lap <laughs> and uh, broadcasting from here. I basically have my food slid under the door by James. And when James needs to use the, the toilet, uh, we have rigged up an ingenious system involving a, uh, an everyday garden hose. And, um, it, and it, a bell yeah, to let you us. know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it works for us. And Mike, I have to say, I envy you. Really? I really envy you in that bathroom. I really do. Have you ever seen the movie Fight Club? Oh, with uh, uh, Brad Pitt and Edward Norton and Meatloaf. Yes. 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 And I always remember in, in, um, in Fight Club, Brad Pitt tells Edward Norton, you don't own your stuff. Your stuff owns you. And I'm out here in the rest of the apartment. I've got the living room and the kitchen and the bedroom and the balcony. And, oh, there's a couch and there's a bed and there's a kettle and there's an oven and there's a fridge. Uh, and I'm going, oh, my God, there's so much stuff. I feel like this, I, I feel like it owns me. And I, I, see, I hear you in the bathroom with the door shut 24-7. And I'm thinking, God, in a way, I wish I had been the one in that bathroom. Because it's just so, such a simple life. You, have, you live the life of a Buddhist monk. Well, I guess in a way I do. Um, and, you know, it's interesting to hear you, you know, say all that because from my point of view here, sitting on the toilet day after day for near on a month now, I feel like I would honestly give up anything to leave uh, this this bathroom to get up off the toilet, put some clothes on and just walk around the other rooms of the apartment. And, you know, I'd love to go for a walk outside. It's so funny, you know, it's, it, it, as I've said before, it's a grass is greener. Absolutely. You know? Yeah, we're living it. It really, really yeah. is. So um, before we, we move on, uh, we need to address something as a show. 
uh, we need to speak directly to the listener, to the people who download this podcast every week, and uh, we need to talk to them uh, about something that happened last week. It's true, and um, I, I, uh, I'm dreading this, but I agree with you, James, yeah. that we need to address this. It has to be done. So, Mike, um, you're the editing whiz, so why don't you uh, play a clip from last week's episode um, right now, uh, if you can do that. Okay, so this is a clip of um, a piece of audio that came in uh, just after the little uh, musical break, after our intro, just before we brought on our guest. And uh, here it is. Horde, then we'll do the countdown and the clap. Three, two, one... And welcome back to the show, everybody. Hope you didn't miss us while we were away. Oh God! Wow. Yeah. So. Oh, I feel so terrible. that made it. That made it to air. So that happened. Uh, so that happened. So, listeners, you may have noticed that um, you heard some sort of uh, behind the scenes stuff there. You heard me counting us in and clapping which is really not made for uh, listeners' ears. It's kind of something that's supposed to be cut out. and It's kind of something called goddamn amateur hour. Yes. I deserve that. I deserve that. Because Mike, ed- Mike edits this, uh, this podcast. Yeah. You know, he does the grunt work. I do the, you know, I'm the guy in the poster waving. And, I mean, we gotta be honest. You, f- you effed up, Mike. It's true. And, you know, hearing that just makes me wish I was... Six feet, you know, twelve feet, eighteen feet. However, however deep the the uh, Undertaker can get that grave. That's how f- far underground I wish I was dead because it's embarrassing, and I feel like I've let the listeners down. I feel like I've let you, my podcasting partner, down, and I felt I feel you like have? I've let down the medium of podcasting. It's so true. I mean, if if Mark Marin in his L.A. mansion ever went, oh, maybe I'll check out this Toronto show, these two young kids, and that's the one he downloaded, we we're toast. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. I mean, it, it's uh, it does not reflect well on the show or Canadian uh, entertainment itself, and. I, I, mm. as much as I apologize for it, I do. There were some extenuating circumstances, and I'm not asking. I'm, you know, I'm not trying to w- wriggle my way out of this. You know, I take. Here we go. I take full responsibility for the editing mistake, and it will haunt me until the day I die. However, something weird happened that may have caused me to, uh, to you know, be a little uh, less than rigorous with my editing, shall we say? Mm. Basically. Okay. I've been stuck here in the bathroom for four weeks, and uh, while I was editing the episode last week, I heard some rustling around under the, you know, there's like the, under the sink, there's a little cupboard here in the bathroom? Yeah, yeah, I did. Well, I opened up the sink, and I looked inside, I poked my head inside and said, hello, who's in there? And I saw <laughs> what I think was, it looked like a, a possum, like, uh, but a very old, like an elderly possum. A great big guy, oh. must have been... By my estimate, about 50 pounds or something, uh, seemed not to be in the greatest of health, uh, appeared to be blind and deaf, because when I clapped at him and when I said, hello, sir, he did not respond, um, but he was alive. And I, I know this because I did reach my hands into the cupboard and put my fingers under his, his little neck there, and I felt uh, the wet uh, skin sort of pulsing as if, you know, the beat of his heart. Um, 
I don't know how long he's been under there, but it, it, it seems that he's made quite a comfortable nest in there, and it stinks, and it's a little bit creepy, and honestly, I got sort of transfixed by staring into the blackness of his eyes. Have you ever experienced something like that before, James, with an animal? I can't say that I have, no. Well, but I first saw the possum under the bathroom sink at about noon, and I stared into his eyes, and I seemed to get sort of, as I said, transfixed, hypnotized, and the next thing I knew, when the spell broke and I sort of shook myself free, it was 6 p.m. Wow. I, I had been staring into that old stinky possum's eyes for six freaking hours. So forgive me if after that I... Uh, Forgot to do the little tidying up of of the uh, editing of the podcast, but that's what happened to me. Wow, interesting. Again, I'm, I'm not asking. I'm not trying to wriggle out of my responsibility here, uh, but that is what happened. So a sort of near, an alive but near dead possum has been in the bathroom with you. I guess this whole time. Yes. It's. It, I would describe it as being at death's door. Is it sort of like but the guy it, in Seven who was just barely kept alive by the Kevin Spacey serial killer um, for a long time? Very similar okay. to that, yes. Wow, so that thing's just been in the bathroom with you. Yes, and it's still there. You know, every hour I hear it sort of like breathe a little bit, and it, it's, it, uh, once again, it's very sick, so it's, a, uh, it's not nice to be around. Wow. Oh, I, I, could, I guess I could see that being a little unsettling. You're trying to go to bed on the toilet there, and you hear, you know, this living yeah. creature that can't see or hear is is quite near you. Yeah, it's a, it's very oppressive. Mm. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, it's tough times, Mike, and we're all making sacrifices, so I don't feel too yeah. bad for you, but uh, interesting story nonetheless for the animal lovers out there. Yeah, I'd just like to apologize once again to all the listeners. I am ashamed, but there you know, there was some stuff going on behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. So. And I speak for the listeners, too, when I say we're ashamed of you, but, you know, we, we move on. We move yeah. on. We carry on. Yeah. Well, it sounds like it was quite a week for you in there. It was. It was, it was trying, but... Um, how was your week? Because because from you know listening because we we don't see each other. Yes. I only know that you're out there because I hear you hmm. often, and it seemed to me that there was a I don't know about two days this week where you maybe just were asleep the whole time. There was there was no noise. Oh well, it's funny story. So um you know I, oh. I, I, I yeah. <laughs> Uh, so I've been in uh, in the apartment, you know, quarantining like everybody else, uh, mm-hmm. watching movies, playing video games, what have you. Um, but, you know, they do say, the government does say you're allowed to go out if you follow quarantine rules. Yeah. And, you know, um, every country obviously, obviously has their own rules. So as long as you follow the rules of the country you're in, you're good. Mm-hmm. So, right. uh, several months ago, I had been approached by a member of the Brazilian federal government about being a judge in the world-famous Miss Bum Bum competition. Uh, are you familiar with the Miss oh. Bum Bum competition, Mike? <laughs> um, unfortunately, I am, because it occasionally makes the uh, the news of the weird. Um, but yes, okay, go on. Well, yeah, it's a it's a big contest in Brazil where ladies compete to see who has the best rear end is the only way to put it. Yeah. And yeah. Um, so anyway, you know, uh, Bolsonaro, the president of Brazil, he's not really, he's got a different take on mm. the whole coronavirus thing. 
I am not a fan of his. Well, we're on different sides of the aisle there. So uh, he um, he still he still went ahead with the Miss Bum Bum competition, and that was this week. And as I said, I was I was hired to be a to be a celebrity judge. Um, okay. Yeah. So I thought, well, f it. You know, if if you're allowed to to do the Miss Bum Bum in in Brazil, it's it's their rules. So I'm sticking to it. So uh, yeah. So on Tuesday this week, I hopped on a flight and went down to Rio. And I went down and I judged Jesus. the Miss Bum Bum Competition 2020. It was really fun. The the girls were had a blast. I had fun. There was a lot of dancing, drinks. We went to dinner. Um, I actually got taken out to dinner by um, by Bolsonaro's sons who are uh, work in his government. No, yeah, uh, Eduardo, Flavio, and Carlos and I hit the town. Rio was was just so fun. Um, they taught me how to surf, if you can believe it. I had never surfed somehow. What? Yes, it was really fun. And, uh, the club, oh my God. You, if you think clubbing in Toronto, uh, is wild, you never been to Rio, mate. Uh, Rio was amazing. And, uh, yeah, so I was only, I, you know, so I was only there for a couple days, hopped on a flight, came back, and then I started the old quarantine up again. So nice to get out and, uh, good to know I'm, I'm doing my part. Jesus Christ, you, you, I can't believe you did that. That you're basically you you may be responsible for the deaths of dozens of people because you were uh, selfish enough to go judge the Miss Bum Bum competition. Well, I mean, come on here. I'm sorry. Um do you not believe in laws, Michael? I I very much believe in the rule well, of law. Well, in actually. Brazil I, I was much believe in, in Brazil they said it was fine. So that's what I did. Well, but you're a Canadian citizen. I, I yeah, and when I was in Brazil, tr- that's how it works, Michael. When you're in Brazil, you're a Brazilian citizen. And then you come back to Canada and you're a Canadian citizen. That's how it works. I'm not sure about that, but I don't have the facts at hand to make a good, strong argument. But um, I, Brazil's a country that doesn't seem to, really, to be really doing anything uh, in the midst of this global pandemic. Why would you go Well, there? yes, they are actually, Mike, because in the Miss Bum Bum... They did have a little public service announcement reminding you to wash your hands. And I thought, good well, on them. Well, that's something. It was something. And everyone was, you know, they, they, a, a woman even had like a body paint of hands painted on her bum and said, you know, don't remember, don't forget to wash your hands and did, it, did a dance. And everyone loved it. And I thought, this is how we should be doing this in Canada. You know, I have some entertainment with our, you know, strict rule giving i couldn't disagree more and i'm so Mm. thankful i'm so thankful that prime minister trudeau is not you know uh leading or allowing a you know miss canada bum competition during this very serious time well i had a great time and i'm glad bolsonaro went went ahead with the with the uh, competition and that's all i really have to say How's he looking lately? Because he's been through a lot in the past couple of years. He got stabbed while running for president, and I Is think he true? may have had coronavirus uh, recently. Uh, wow. He got stabbed? He got stabbed during the uh, campaign that he eventually, when he, when he won and became the uh, wow. president of Brazil. Boy, oh boy. Yeah, yeah. You wouldn't see that here. Imagine the, you know, Bloc Quebecois guy got stabbed. You know, well, yeah. In in Canada, we stab our politicians with words. That's true. That's true. And ideas. Yeah. So it sounds like we both had interesting weeks. You were in the bathroom with the with the possum, and I had the whole Brazil Miss Bum Bum thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. 
so before we move on to our segment, we have a Patreon that we're super grateful for. Uh, we're proud people. to have it, and we're grateful also for anyone who contributes to it. That's what I was trying to say. And uh, what's that address, Mike? The address you want to go to on your PC or Mac is uh, patreon.com slash landlord tenant. And you can give a buck. You can give two bucks. Heck, heck if you are uh, uh, Jeff Bezos and you want to give us, you know, one billion dollars, we're not going to object, even though we despise your politics and uh, we don't. Uh, think that you treat your employees properly. Mm. And um, we're working on some stuff to give our Patreons, too, even during these quarantine yeah. times. Um, thank working. you so much to everyone who uh, does that. We are so grateful. Remember the song? You know the song, I've been working on the railroad all the... Imagine if it's us singing, I've been... We've been working on the podcast uh, all the live long day. <laughs> that's good. Okay, um, should we move on to our segment? We must move on to it. It is crucial. Ah, uh, robot character. The robot character, yeah. Oh, this week's segment is going to be fun. I've been looking forward to it all day as I was sitting here naked on the toilet. Um, and it is hopefully something that uh, our listeners can relate to. Because I, I bet, and if you're following the rules, I bet a lot of our listeners are sheltering in place or you know quarantining self-isolating like we are Mm -hmm. that's right and uh, a common thing amongst people who've been just stuck at home is that they've had their checklists of things they've been meaning to do and said to themselves heck you know what i've always meant to do this thing when i had time i'm gonna do it now and we're no different we're no different we're just uh, you know that thing uh stars they're just like us well it's true we are just like our listeners podcasts posts are very similar to the listeners in a, in many ways many many ways so um yeah this is a, a segment called quarantine checklist quarantine checklist uh okay well a common thing uh people have been saying is that i've always wanted to write that novel or write that script what have you i'm no different and i've I've been meaning to write a spec script for years and finally got around to it during quarantine. And uh, I picked my favorite show, uh, Blue Bloods. So I wrote a spec script for the show Blue Bloods. Yeah, with Tom Selleck. And uh, Donnie Wahlberg. Yes, yes. It's probably the best cop show on TV. Makes The Wire look like a piece of poo. Um, And um, I think the spec script was pretty good. I followed the characters to a T, you know, um, and I added a fun new character in the spec script. Yeah, (laughs) who um, he's called Cool Jimmy, and he's a Mm. Toronto cop who's transferred to New York. And he's even tougher than Tom Selleck. And Tom Selleck literally, you know, can't believe how tough and cool this guy is. And, um, and And Cool Jimmy ends up sleeping with Tom Selleck's uh, girlfriend in the show and Tom Selleck doesn't even care because he's like yeah really he's like he's yeah. into it yeah there is a type of guy who gets off on seeing his partner get you know uh, have have a love with another guy let's put it that way there sure is um, and Mike you I wonder if you have any ideas of who I have in mind to play cool Jimmy 
Now, I did want to ask you about that because cool Jimmy, I know Jimmy is another term for James, and I'm thinking, hold on, are you just trying to like uh, fantasize yourself into this show? I mean, what's going on? Do you want to be in Blue Bloods or what? Well, let's just say I wasn't thinking of James Cameron to play the role. I was thinking of me. All right. My first quarantine catch-up quarantine project that I've been working on is... um, now, James, you know this, and listeners know, uh, if you've been listening for a while, I'm always blabbing on about how, you know, one day I'm going to write uh, my opera. You know, it's the big thing I want to accomplish create, cre- like creatively with my talent, and I never get around to it for one reason or another. Well, now that I've got so much free time on my hands, I've actually finished my opera. Whoa, I ha- I'm, I'm impressed. I had no idea that you... <laughs> You had plans to do that. Yeah, um, I'm, you don't remember me always going on about my opera? Um, no. Okay, well, anyway, I'm excited. At least I'm excited about it. And uh, I'll tell you what it's about. It's, a, it's an opera. It's about three hours long. Um, and it's about the, the uh, history of Canada's greatest invention that we gave the world. Of course, I'm Ooh. talking about the electric-powered wheelchair, which was invented by George Klein, who was the uh, Canadian inventor, of course, that we all know. Uh, he and his team of engineers, uh, they were working for the National Research Council of Canada in a program to assist injured veterans returning from World War II. And also, George Klein invented the uh, microsurgical staple gun, which comes into play in Act 4. Wow, sounds riveting, Mike. It's very good. I'm, uh, I'm nervous about uh, you know the big premiere as soon as you know the uh, lockdowns are over and you know I have to cast it, of course, find the musicians. But the premiere is what I'm focused on now, and I hope that the reviewers are kind. Hmm, I'm sure they will be. Oof. All right. Um, my second quarantine checklist item is uh. Well, if you've been listening, you know that, um, as we've talked about before, Mike's in the bathroom, I'm in the rest of the apartment, and when I have to go to the bathroom, it's a bit of a to-do. I dingle a bell, and there's a hose under the door, and Mike knows when I dingle dingle the bell, that means the hose yeah. goes in the toilet, and I, I go. Mm-hmm. Um, but to be honest, it's a bit of a pain in the ass to go through <laughs> this process. Oh, I wasn't trying to do a pun, but... Anyway, uh, so I thought, there's got to be an easier way for me to be able to go to the bathroom than this whole hose malarkey so um i found a hammer uh in your uh, closet there and i just started banging on the wall and i've actually made a hole in your wall to the outside um, which is kind of cool yeah just like about the size of a softball yeah i was wondering Um, what all that banging was the other night yeah 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 i took some adderall and just banged away and uh, anyway, so now if I, I'm trying it out that if I want to go to the bathroom, I just go out the hole. And is the, so it just goes right onto the, out the side of the building, onto the Yeah, ground? I mean, just kind of drip, goes down the, yeah, goes down the side of the, out the side of the building. Uh, um, well, I mean, I mean. Not much of know, a toilet, is it? I mean, it's just sort of a. No, it's not uh, exactly like being at the Ritz, but, uh, you know, it, it's getting the job done. So yeah. I'm fine with it. Well, I hope You'll it's have to not fix that when you when you yeah. when you you know when when you get out of the bathroom that's going to be on you to to fix up but 
I mean, I know they're doing some some construction work uh, on the just outside the building. I hope that the hole you made uh, doesn't splash those those poor men who are working uh, down there. No, well, fingers crossed. That's all I can say. Fingers oh, crossed. You got to go right. to the bathroom. You got to go to the bathroom. Yeah. What well, are you going to do? You do raise a good point there. Uh, all right. Mm-hmm. My second quarantine catch up, my, my quarantine project is uh, is this. Now, if you're online at all right now, you're going to be seeing a lot of pictures of people who have baked their own sourdough bread for the first time. You know, uh, some of them look great. Some of them are the sourdough fails. Um, well, I've been doing some baking of my own. Yes, right here in the toilet. I have a little mini oven. What do they call those? Like, um, the ones that, uh, kids have? Oh, yeah. Like I a, forget, but like I know li- what you mean. A little girl's toy oven. And I've been baking my own sacramental bread, uh, so that I can celebrate the Eucharist when I watch live streams of, uh, Catholic masses every Sunday. And I, yes, I, I bake my own sacramental bread using a quick and dirty recipe I found online. All you need are flour, oil, and some salt, and that's how you make your own unleavened bread. And then I, once it's finished cooling, I rip out little circles of bread, uh, exactly in the shape of a host that a priest would give you. Huh. And then what? You just eat the communion? Yeah, just wafers? pop them in your mouth. Yep. Okay, very cool. You must have smelled the, right. the, the pleasant aroma of f- fresh baked bread coming out of the, the toilet. Uh, honestly, I thought it was just you going to the bathroom. Nope. But, uh, nope. All right. Um... All right, my final uh, project I've been working on during quarantine is funny videos. I've been making funny videos. Oh! (laughs) And I'm going to put them online. Yeah, um, I've come up with a character, which is kind of fun. And it's basically the whole idea behind this character is that he's uh, really horny. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. So, yeah, you can see where this is going. He's a really horny guy, but he can't leave the house because of quarantine. Right. So it's just these funny sketches I've recorded where, you know, a guy's just kind of horny alone in the house. <laughs> so, you know, maybe I can't do daily activities because I'll be too horny. Or maybe I'm <laughs> chopping up carrots and then I chop off the end of my boner. Uh, you know, I could have sort of a hot dog uh, pretending to be that. So just stuff like that. I think it, uh, I think it should do pretty well on YouTube. It's kind of yeah. in the similar tone to a lot of successful videos on there. I mean, it's kind of, so we'll see how it goes. You know, you might, I might, I might, I might become out of uh, quarantine a YouTube star. Well, so. <laughs> we'll see. It's kind of, kind of crude, kind of a crude premise you have there, well. but there is a built-in conflict because the man, he's horny and he can't leave. So I, it, I guess it works. Yeah. Yeah, there's always places for episodes to go. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Well, good luck. God bless you. You know, not my cup of tea, but, uh, you know, I'm not everybody. You sure aren't. No. <laughs> so my third and final quarantine thingamajig is that um, with all this extra time we've had, I've been, you know, tapping away at the computer. And f- for one reason or another, I became obsessed with... Um, there was a murder case, a cold case. Uh, a, a 55-year-old army captain was uh, murdered at a bar in Belgrade, Serbia in 1999. Are you familiar with this uh, with this murder, James? No, no. Anyway, I'm obsessed with it. And using um, a combination of Google Maps, some GPS software, and Skype, I actually managed to locate and identify the killer. Of this 55-year-old army captain. Yeah. and um, When was this murder? Pardon me? 
When was the murder? The murder was in 1999 in Belgrade, Serbia at a tavern. And, um, yeah, it was unsolved still. And, uh, yeah, I am Mr. Sherlock Holmes here, you know, Cyber Sherlock. And I located and revealed the, uh, the man responsible for this murder. And since then, I've been Skyping with the man, uh, trying to convince him to turn himself in. Really? Yes. I mean, surely he's not taking that too well. I mean, why would he listen to you? Currently, he's not. And plus, there was a little bit of a uh, language barrier, as you can imagine. So it's a lot of mm. me sort of using, uh, gesticulating wildly, uh, trying to use my hands to gesture about, like, I don't know what the gesture is for turn yourself into the Serbian police, but I'm trying to find that. Who does he think you are? If you're Skyping with him, like, does, who does he think you are? Well, he thinks I'm a pain in the, a royal pain in the tuchus, uh, is one thing uh. I know, because he swears and shakes his fist at the webcam whenever I Skype him. <laughs> wow. What does he look like? Oh, very hairy man, very weathered face. You know, a classic uh, Balkan man. You know that look? Yep. I Say no more. Know exactly what you Those mean. men from the Balkans. Yeah, he has that kind of look. Very good. Yeah. Cool. Okay, well, that is Quarantine Catch-Up. And we're all uh, caught up. Our intros, yeah, our intros are getting wild. <laughs> yes. I mean, this one's half an hour. Yeah, and who knows how long the rest of the episode will be. <laughs> um, well, why don't we take a break and come back with our guest? Mm. And welcome back to the show, everybody. It's going to be a great one. We've got a guest that is going to knock your darn socks off and maybe your N65 masks if you're wearing them or your latex gloves. She is a comedian, a writer, a star of television also. Her name is Evany Rosen. Welcome back to the show, Evany. Thanks so much for having me, guys. This is a real COVID thrill. Thanks for being here, Evany. How is your how is your COVID going so far, Evany? I mean, I mean, it's it's a wild time for everyone, you know. Um, mm. You're you're inside. You're with yourself. You're with your thoughts. You're with your pets. Um, you're looking around, going, "Is this forever? How many puzzles can I do?" I've been doing a lot of puzzles. I've been really. I've been fucking banging off the puzzles, guys. And I made the Empire State Building out of Lego. This 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 is all true. Now, did you know My you were goodness. a puzzle person before COVID? Absolutely not. I thought jigsaw puzzles were like, who are these for? I always thought there was something a bit unwell about jigsaw puzzles, but I uh, panicked when the news came out, and I got one, and boy howdy, I flew through it. I think the secret to puzzles, and no one wants to know this, this isn't content anyone wants, and I can tell neither of you are asking, but I am going to tell you, is color blocking, okay? <laughs> this is what you want in a puzzle. Get something that's like a bookshelf picture. As, and then you can group all the colors first as you separate the pieces. This creates a manageable puzzle uh, style and shape. Because if it's all one color, you're screwed. Now, how many pieces are we talking here, Evany? Because, uh, you know, there's a variance in the kinds of the number you can get. I am just thrilled as punch that you asked, James, because this has been coming up. I started with some 500 pieces. I didn't want to overwhelm myself right away as I learned the skills of jigsaw puzzling. Okay, but then I recently purchased, partially because Amazon is mostly sold out of puzzles, a thousand piecer, but it's a it's a bookshelf puzzle, so Whoa. it's all color blocked. So I think I can handle it, but I haven't dived in yet. 
That's what I'm going to do as soon as, soon as we're ask, done potting. What was the 500-piecer and what, what's the 1,000-piecer? The, the, the audience has a right to know. I think you're right, and thank you for keeping me honest um, on the airwaves, Michael. Um, the, okay, I've done more than one 500-piecer. The first one was a stack of books, of colored books, but it was like the shape of a stack of books. So this created some intrigue, some mm. rounded edges you wouldn't expect. Then I did one that's a pu- sort of a puzzle, like an image, kind of a painting called Eyes in the Garden. Feel free to Google it. That one was a bit more of a challenge because I had some real big pink circles in the middle. Then I did one of origami animals. And that one was, I would say, too easy, which is why I've upgraded to this thousand piece puzzle that that has also a bookshelf. The bookshelf theme, the books really work for me. I think it's a good uh, puzzle format. (laughs) So would you say that, would you describe yourself, uh, and sorry if this is, uh, if I'm being too forward, would you say you're a book nerd? Because you've done two puzzles, it seems, that have books involved. I'm going to tell you this, Michael. I have done a lot more puzzles during COVID-19 than I have completed reading books. And I'm embarrassed to admit that, and you're right to call me out. But I finished one book in this time and at least two puzzles about books. So that's, that's a burn on me. What book? I was absolutely Yikes. the firm by John Grisham, and I never <laughs> read it. And let me tell you, it rules. Now, I also read an American classic during this time. I just finished reading Moby Dick. So you read the firm. I read Moby Dick. So we that takes in the entire length and breadth of American uh, literature almost, I think. You yeah, know? there was nothing good before Herman Melville and nothing good after John Grisham's third <laughs> book. It's all been downhill before and after. I didn't realize Herman Melville was American. I thought he was a Brit. Uh, no, he, I mean, he, I think he writes like you'd think he was an old English man, but he, yeah, American, I think he was born in New York City, but, uh, yeah, he's a Yank. It's it's funny how when you go, it's funny how when you go to an, to an airport, um, and you go to an airport bookstore, it's all like Stephen King, John Grisham, and Herman Melville. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's all you can Everyone on every flight taken off. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Mike, now I don't want to put you on the spot here. Maybe you don't have this handy. But you were telling me there was a bit of a rude quote uh, that you were surprised by within Moby Dick. You were surprised by the context. Well, I'll put it in some... Absolutely. I'll put it in some context here. And just out of curiosity, uh, Ebony, so Moby Dick, mostly people know the broad strokes of the story. Yeah. It's about a mad Captain Ahab who's obsessed with uh, capturing and killing the, the sperm whale that took away his leg. And, uh, you know, his, in pursuit of this... Uh, dream he destroys himself um there's lots of talk about sperm oil and and they call it sperm to abbreviate it i'm wondering in john grisham's the firm is the word sperm used very often yeah it's um so the fbi contacts mitch mcdeer because they want to get their hands on the sperm files from Bendini Lambert <laughs> Locke because they're laundering sperm for the mafia. Um, and oh, a lot of people don't know that, but in the, in the early 80s, people wanted to avoid mafia sperm. So they had to get it out of the country to the Grand Caymans because they could make a lot of money donating all their um, all their uh, familia uh, sp- uh, sperm. So they'd send it to the Grand Caymans and they would uh, wash it. And then they'd bring it back inside of the uh, of the private jet owned by the law firm. Um, so oh. it is also, I mean, I think that's why they're both American classics. They're both sperm based, 
and yes. a lot of sperm I, content. I've seen the movie The Firm and with Tom Cruise and Gene Hackman, and I don't remember a lot of sperm in it. Well, they it. changed a lot uh, for the movie. No, there you is. Know? He admits his cheating to the yeah. wife in the movie. That's different. And they lowered the. Yeah. But are you saying there is sperm in the movie? I don't remember the sperm not section. Not really. Well, there's a, a mean, little bit. Not as Tom not Cruise as much as in the book, but there's a bit. To a yeah. woman there's on some, a beach. There's some. Yeah, yeah. He puts his sperm there. Blech. Sorry, I said Blech. that. Yeah. Apologize to the women. Both live women listeners. And to be clear, you don't see it. <laughs> you don't see it. <laughs> no. It's not. On so it's camera. implied that it went somewhere. Yeah. That's. We don't know where though. Well. Um, Although I think you were I'm sorry to interrupt Mike. I will say though there was a scene with Wilford Brimley and Tom Cruise. <laughs> and in this scene, Wilford is it Wilford or Wilfred? Wilfred Fred? Brimley. Wilfred? Fred like Brimley. Wilfred has taken photos of Tom Cruise having sex with a with a random woman on the beach. It was a setup. Okay, this this lawyer company has set up Tom Cruise to with, with a woman, beautiful woman on a beach who had sex with Tom Cruise. And when Wilfred Brimley is sort of, has photos of this, then he's going to show Tom Cruise's wife, spoiler alert, if Tom Cruise goes to the cops. And Wilfred Brimley kind of unnecessarily says like, and it's not just sex, there's also oral. <laughs> like he specifically says that, I guess this girl gave Tom Cruise a blowjob on the beach, which he didn't need to Man. say, I would say. You could have just gone with that. Hmm. May I say that's every guy's nightmare to be having <laughs> you know sex with a woman and then Wilfred Brimley is you know hiding in the bushes <laughs> taking yep. pictures or any big walrus like fat yeah. guy yeah. really pointing to the parts of the sexual encounter where you did oral on each other. <laughs> mm. <laughs> What kind of law firm is this? Did they do oral? <laughs> and he also yes. made it sound like, because, you know, this is a threat to Tom Cruise, and he made it sound like, now this isn't just sex, it's oral. As though his wife would be like, you had sex with another woman? Oh, man. And then it's like, not just that, oral as well. And then she'd be like, what? You know what I mean? Isn't sex worse than, anyway. <laughs> Wilfred, and you know he was such a bad guy in the movie. And, and at the end, again, spoiler alert: at the end, Tom Cruise like beats the hell out of him, and you f you're happy. You're like, yes, hit that fat old man. Yeah, and he's not just hitting him; he's God. kicking him repeatedly in the gut while like real from yeah. in the fetal <laughs> position. And you already yeah. know um, that Tom, like, because Tom Cruise, I found this out recently, and this is my new favorite fact. But originally, when they wrote the script for Risky Business, have I told you guys this before on this podcast? Tell me if think I have. So. <laughs> so they wrote it originally. So, no. They wanted Matthew Broderick. They wanted to like kind of recreate the energy because Ferris Bueller had come out a couple years before and they were like, that's the vibe. Oh, and I thought you were going to say that they wanted Wilfred Brimley to play the Tom yeah, Cruise Yeah, they role. wanted Wilfred Brimley. His <laughs> Wilfred Brimley's parents go out of town and he wants to have a sexy party. Um, and that wasn't working visually for anyone. So they cast Tom Cruise. That's the end We're of the gonna story. We're going to have a great party. We're going to have oatmeal and gin. Just take those old records. <laughs> and you see Wilfred Brimley slide in on his knees in his underwear. To be oh, fair of all of I those, those actors. I want to have sex. <laughs> I feel like Wilfred Brimley is the biggest Bob Seger fan of those three actors in fairness. <laughs> <laughs> but no, the real story is that Matthew Broderick turning down whatever didn't happen, but they had the same script and they cast Tom Cruise, who was like 20. I weirdly read an article about this by um, 
Bronson Pinchot was talking about it because I'm a bit obsessed with Bronson Pinchot. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a 2012 <laughs> AV Club article of Bronson Pinchot talking about different movie experiences he had had. And this was because they were both like 20 when they got cast in Risky Business. And apparently Tom Cruise showed up on set and was like, fucking terrifying and like so intense was making a lot of gay jokes no one needed him to make and the gay jokes didn't make sense like someone would be like oh i'm gonna go to the craft truck to get some ice cream and he'd be like why because there's a bunch of like gay guys over there and they'd be like what, <laughs> what, do you mean? what are you talking tom's about? funny he's funny and then they had to rewrite the whole script to deal with his like intense scary energy and that they took all the jokes out and added that like horny scene on the subway and that's why of Tom Wait, Cruise horny is, like, scene on the subway? Yeah, they like he like he and the girl like fuck on the subway, and the lights are like flashing on and off, and it's like Whoa. very horny. Man, that couldn't have been uh, Matthew Broderick or Wilfred Brimley. <laughs> like no way, <laughs> man. Do you think that Tom Cruise and Wilfred Brimley are still like buddies and like hang out because they did you know at least <laughs> one movie together? I'd like to believe they're best friends. <laughs> I think there was yeah. a there was a thing last year that I think it was last year that Tom Cruise last year was the same age as Wilfred Brimley in Cocoon. <laughs> I think that is true. Well, one guy hits the gym, one guy hits the you know, the KFC bucket, it looks yes, like. or the donuts. You know what? What the hell did Wilfred Brimley look like when he was young? I'm looking this up. And you know what it's because there's two of because also Gene Hackman has never looked young and he's also in the firm. But even Mm. in the firm, like the firm's like, how old is that movie now? Like 30 more, more years old? More. Like 40 years old. The firm was like 92. And and Gene Hackman looks old 40 years ago. I'm look. I just googled Wilford Brimley Young, and there are no photos where he looks <laughs> remotely young. They just they don't. Your internet shut they off. They call him. Uh, he's the male Lansbury. There's not a photo of him as a as a youth. Like, I know. I have. To, I want to know. Yeah, like Google Wilford. It's also Will Ford. It's which Will I did not Ford. Know. Ford. Oh, I apologize. Yeah, Wilford Brimley lie. Young. There are no like he. He's old in every photo. Maybe when he was a young man, he sold his soul to the devil to always look old but never die. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I guess man. him on the Waltons is him like young. He looks old and sort of heavy set with a brown mustache and bald instead of a white mustache, but that's as young as he gets. That's you're right. My yeah. my Google just gave up and started showing me pictures of Jean Claude Van Damme. <laughs> 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 Did you ever think John claude Van Damme was good looking, Ebony? He doesn't do it for me. He's I what? find him too compact. Oh. Why he's not? A, he's a small fella, right? He's like he's like compact and powerful. Yeah, I don't think he's like an. I wouldn't be like ew. If you're into him, you're fucked. Like I get it. I've been swearing a lot. I'm sorry. I think it's the disease. Um, no, don't worry. But uh, he's just he's not my type. Mm. He's too, wow. his body's too tight for me. I'd like it a bit more loose. Not full Wilford loose, <laughs> like, but somewhere in between. <laughs> I don't want him too tight. James, are you a, 
Are you a Van Damme guy, James? Because I know you you love uh, European action stars. <laughs> I do. I do. Um, I love Van Damme. Van Damme and Seagal uh, from like the late 80s through the mid 90s, they couldn't miss. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, sure, they're bad movies, but they're so great. Did you ever see the one with Seagal? And I think it was, uh, well, there was Seagal and DMX and Seagal and Ja Rule did movies together and they're so good <laughs> no action stars are like that anymore where they're sort of like obvious losers but you still root for them you know what i mean jason statham isn't a loser but steven seagal was always a loser yeah i mean he what was his like the, the history will remember him as being what in uh under siege was probably his most successful movie oh that, that was so Tommy good Jones on the boat yeah gary busey Yes. He dresses up as a woman in some like weird, like, this is what it looks like when sailors have fun scene, and it's very crazy Busey acting. He's also in the firm. <laughs> Sorry to keep talking about the firm. He was. And he, he won a, we think of Gary Busey as like a train wreck, like laughing stock of a man, but he, he won an, an Oscar no. for the Buddy Holly story. Really? What? He was like a respected actor at one point before his brain collapsed in on itself. Well, he had That's gotten a motorcycle insane. accident. Oh, did he? <laughs> 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 yeah, he got into like a pretty horrific motorcycle accident, Sensitive, and then he Mike. wasn't right oh, after that. See, I, I didn't know that. I thought maybe his brain just naturally collapsed, but he no, actually did from injured the his brain. Contact it made with the pavement. Yeah. <laughs> ah, that explains it. Well, I take back my accusation that he just went crazy by himself thank you can i tell you one funny thing um so i'm, I'm looking up steven seagal here and he did above the law hard to kill marked for death out for justice under siege and then in 94 he did on deadly ground where he not only starred but he was also the director this was his directorial debut and was on deadly ground the one where he played a native guy uh an indigenous person the, the, he did. The, the title suggests positive. yes. If I had to guess of those titles, which is the one where he chooses to play some kind of indigenous <laughs> kind of and chief so slash that he directed uh, killer, that. I would guess that one. And that one that's called what's it called on Sacred Ground? On Deadly Ground. On Deadly Ground, of course. On deadly Ground. Wow, Michael Caine was in that, by the way. James, I don't want to. I mean, Michael I don't want to dictate. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Michael Caine. Oh, I was going to say, Michael Caine will act in, he'll, as long as there's money involved, he will, he will appear on this episode of the podcast if we <laughs> offered him some money. He does seem to not really have standards about that. Yeah. Well, uh, I watched um, Now You See Me, these really bad uh, magician movies with, um, what's that guy's name from the social network? That nerd guy? Jesse, Jesse Eisenberg. Eisenberg. Jesse Eisenberg. And Michael Caine's in those. And in number two, he's not looking good. I hate to say it. Really? Well, he just seems like he's, I don't know if he's mailing it in or just very tired. <laughs> or this is the second dying. time you've brought up Now You See Me. <laughs> My God. I, I'm a little concerned now. I think Steven Seagal, he was offered, I think, Russian citizenship, and I, I believe he's living in Russia. And I'm just looking at his Instagram feed. Isn't um, he like Putin's... Steven Seagal and Gerard Depardieu. Is it... What? Isn't Steven Seagal like Putin's martial arts advisor or some like has some weird title? I think so. Even though Steven Seagal is wildly out of shape right now. <laughs> <laughs> what's, uh, what's Depardieu Mike, doing you, over there? That's what I was going to ask. So he, I think uh, he was friends with Putin before. Because, you know, what? Putin likes being friends with like the most current 
movie stars. <laughs> and Depardieu was a, like, uh, there was some huge tax problem where he was accused of having like dodged taxes, and he was apparently so insulted that he gave up his French citizenship, his EU passport, and Putin offered him like uh, honorary Russian citizenship, just as Steven Seagal has, I think, Russian citizenship. Uh, so those two guys wow. are living in Russia. Well, I get it because like and Edward know, Snowden. Wow. Well, when you when you if, but prior to COVID, if you were out and about, you'd hear people talking about green uh, green card. With uh, Gerard yeah. and Andy McDowell, and um, yeah, so I mean, I, I get that. Wow, wasn't there an article but where I'm, Gerard? Sorry, go ahead. Well, I'm just just to finish this about Steven Seagal. I was gonna say I'm concerned because I think he's in Russia and he hasn't posted on Instagram since January 8th, Mister Seagal. So I, I hope he's Ooh. sheltering in place and uh, taking <sighs> care of himself. What is that? What is in Steven Seagal's last Instagram photo? Oh, I'd love to know. Okay. I hope it's up Wilfred um, Brimley somehow. That'll really tie up the universe <laughs> for me. <laughs> Wilfred Brimley is so him? young as a baby. <laughs> <laughs> he is uh, posting about the Australian wildfires, and he's wearing a, some sort of a do-rag and, um, <laughs> and holding what appears to be a sort of sacred stick or something. Um, I'm not too sure. Steven mm. is probably the only the only, you know, uh white person who pulls off the do-rag. Am I right here? Steven rocks that do-rag. And he has some little orange-shaded granny glasses as well oh, and that cool. iconic uh jet black goatee as well. <laughs> <laughs> How long is his hair these days? Um seems to be Actually, I can't. Oh, there's a bit of a ponytail. Yeah. Okay. That's pretty signature. Yeah. I was going to ask, but I don't know if this is out of line, if James could read us the plot synopsis of Undeadly Ground. I just feel curious. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, hmm, This is a bit long, so maybe I'll give my own little edit here. Oh, we've got all the time in the world. (laughs) (laughs) Um, There's an oil refinery in Alaska. And this oil Mm -hmm. refinery purchased oil rights from local Alaskan natives 20 years ago, but they stand to lose them if the the refinery isn't online by a certain deadline. So with 13 days to go before this deadline and billions at stake, the company cuts corners and uses faulty equipment. Hugh Palmer, a rig foreman, is aware of this, and he predicts, and as he predicts, his rig catches fire. Is he with me so far? (laughs) Yes. It takes a man named Forrest Taft who I'm going to guess is Steven Seagal, and he is. His name is Forrest Taft. Can I ask? Please. Did this come out before or after Forrest Gump? (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is February 18th, 1994. That's the Uh, same year, I think. When did Forrest (laughs) (laughs) Gump Imagine if Seagal had been in Forrest Gump. That would have been a very different movie. This came out just before Forrest Gump. So... But I mm, wonder if it's one of those credit. things, like, remember that year there was two movies about Truman Capote, and they were kind of yep. racing to see which one would get out first, <laughs> yep, and, like, they, the, the they pushed one Hood. ahead of the other one? Mm-hmm. I wonder if this was like, mm-hmm. oh, we both have movies about a guy named Forrest, and then the Seagal people <laughs> really pushed that ahead to get out ahead of the curve. <laughs> Life is like a box of chocolates. <laughs> 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 uh, anyway, keep keep going, James. Didn't mean to... Uh, no, you know, no. 
Uh, so Forrest, Forrest Taft, Seagal, is a specialist in dealing with oil drilling related fires. Um, what? So that, <laughs> cool that's, character. Yeah. <laughs> so Forrest. Wow, that um, is action. <laughs> so uh, Forrest, uh, at first, refuses to believe this story about faulty equipment, but later discovers mm. it's true after accessing the company's computer records. Um, so <laughs> there's another character called scene. Michael Sounds Jennings. Sounds dramatic. Yes. I'm, I'm picturing a scene where <laughs> Steven Seagal logs on to a computer. Yeah, I, I'm sure that happened. And early 90s computer, too, probably with that those green letters, very... Uh, Mm-hmm. Dramatic. Mm-hmm. So there's a ruthless CEO of this oil company called Michael Jennings, and uh, okay. Michael Jennings thinks the, that the it's due to personal carelessness that the rig's on fire, and uh, it's still on fire. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and um, so the the evil CEO um, orders uh, the, the 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 whistleblower to be sort of quote unquote dealt with by his henchmen. Mm. Uh, Jennings is then alerted to Steven Seagal's activities and orders that Steven Seagal be eliminated as well. Um, Big so mistake. The, yeah. Well, yeah. I have a feeling you're right. Um, so skimming along here, blah, 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 it's blah. It's really hard to know if you've described the first 10 minutes of the movie or the first 45 <laughs> minutes of the movie. I can't tell. Yeah. So Taft, Steven Seagal, is set, is, uh, set up. Wait, was Taft Steven Seagal? Yeah. Yes, Forrest. Forrest Taft. Taft is set up for a trap by investigating a supposedly damaged pump station. He is badly wounded by an explosion but survives and is rescued by I what I imagine is an indigenous person called Masu, the daughter of Siluk, <laughs> the chief of her tribe. Okay. So they so they they try to blow up Taft, uh, but they can't find his body. And Taft is being taken care of by this tribe, according to the Wikipedia article. That's a real classic um, trope, I feel like. Yeah. Usually it takes place in movies that are set in like the 1800s that this kind of narrative happens. <laughs> Not but in Alaska, it's always the 1800s. Um, so after unsuccessfully trying to leave via dog sled, Saluk oh. has Steven Seagal undergo a vision quest. In which, <laughs> in which he sees the truth. When made to choose between two women, Steven Seagal opts for the elderly clothed grandmother foregoing the erotically charged <laughs> nude... Mm, I'm going to spell this, uh, pronounce, it, pronounce this wrong. The erotically charged nude Inukpiak seductress. So I guess on a, okay. on a vision quest, Steven Seagal had to choose an old grandmother or a hot babe. And he chose the grandmother. So he like he likes a gilf in this movie during a hallucination. Yes. I feel like it's meant to be like the end of um uh uh what's the third Indiana Jones? Last Crusade, where it's like, oh, which one was Jesus's cup? The not fancy one. I feel like this is yeah. a, quite a, a upsetting pared down version of that idea. <laughs> and had he chosen the babe, his face would have melted off like that Nazi guy. I bet. So does that mean is it is like it shows that he's not shallow? Uh, yeah, I guess so. Uh, I'm, I'm talking about Forrest Taft, the character Forrest Taft. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and, and by the way, the corrupt, awful CEO of the oil company is Michael Caine. <laughs> oh, yes. I was going to ask. Yeah. That yeah. tracks. So, okay. So he chooses the grandmother. 
I didn't think I wanted to know this much information, honestly. I thought you were yep. going to give us like a five line, like a blah, 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 well, blah, 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 I'm into this. I want the whole thing. We're getting there. So in the vision, <laughs> uh, the grandmother warns Steven Seagal that he's running out of, that time is running out for those who pollute the world. Taft realizes his only option is to see the refinery closed. So now he's got his, mm. his mission here. So back at Saluk's village, they demand to know where Taft is. Saluk refuses, I, I assume the bad guys? I don't know. Saluk refuses to give the information and is fatally shot by a henchman. Fuck. Another oh henchman uh, kills Saluk in front of his entire tribe. Oh my God. Okay, okay, now this happens. They bring in a group of New Orleans-based mercenaries. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say a marching band. <laughs> Wait, come here. To get host the, a big Nolan style funeral. <laughs> <laughs> they hold an Alaska oh. Mardi Gras. <laughs> uh. Wait, the nearest mercenaries to Alaska were in New Orleans? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's got to be some in California or something. I can't believe we came up here to Alaska. Um, so these New Orleans-based mercenaries are there to... Uh, kill Steven Seagal before the oil thing goes online. How much time has passed since they shot to look and these New Orleans mercenaries hopped what I assume I is a minimum know. of two flights to get to where they are. So, is he still um, on the vision quest? No, he's at, oh, he's at, this is after the vision quest okay. now. So now Steven Seagal collects some weapons and explosives and manages to mm. enter the refinery complex. So now we're getting down to it. Okay, and he Shit. presumably has the skills to wield these weapons and explosives due to his career as an oil rig um, equipment expert? Yes. Great, <laughs> just dead checking. On. Okay. So, um, Stephen Skull effectively sabotages the refinery. Okay. Um, I'm sort of skimming here. I guess a bunch of guys are getting killed by... Oh, no, Stephen Skull's killing a bunch of henchmen. Classic. Um right. So, and now someone is speculating that uh, Steven Seagal might be ex-CIA. And then finally, <laughs> after Steven Seagal has gone through the oil refinery and killed all these henchmen uh, in various ways, um, Steven Seagal finally confronts Michael Caine, the evil CEO. And uh, it says Taft confronts Jennings, Michael Caine, strings him up, and drops him into a pool of oil, effectively drowning Michael Caine in his own wealth. They then escape. <laughs> Steven Seagal then escapes as a series of explosions destroy the rest of the oil refinery. And the last bit here, as an epilogue, Steven Seagal, far from being arrested for sabotage and multiple murders, self-defense, is asked to deliver a speech at the Alaska State Capitol about the dangers of oil pollution <laughs> and the companies that are endangering the ecosystem. During the speech, they show a scene of one of the first commercial hydrogen fuel cell systems developed by some company. So I guess that's a little wow, burn so in the Wikipedia showing... summary <laughs> that they just say wow. that in the epilogue, they just ignore that he was arrested for sabotaging an oil refinery and murdering a bunch of guys. <laughs> <laughs> He's just delivering a speech about the eco, uh, ecosystem. So is it safe to say that this movie is like the, like the, the dude version of Aaron Brockovich? <laughs> yes. Or Fern Gully. Yes. Also, maybe a 1994 film. Very ecologically aware year. He's a real. Yeah, um, more then than yeah. now. Yeah, big climate change warrior kind of tale there. This is why people don't like the left. <laughs> How would Michael Caine sound before he was being lowered into the vat of oil? 
Oh, no. Don't, don't do that. Stop. <laughs> don't lower me into forest. that don't oil. Don't do it, forest. <laughs> don't lower me into that oil. Very do good. you hear me, Stephen? <laughs> don't lower me into that oil. <laughs> Thank you. Really good. So, uh. Evan, you're, you're a bit of a, of a historian, right? Oh, yeah. Can sure. I ask? <laughs> We've now we've heard the story of this character, Forrest Taft. How mm. similar is this Forrest Taft story to twenty uh, seventh U- U.S. President William Howard Taft? Please go and answer my question. Thank you. Okay, you're. Um, <laughs> let me dive right in about Taft. Um, okay, so I'm gonna guess. Now I've not seen on Deadly Ground, and I would say that uh, Steven Seagal physically is maybe not in the best shape of his life currently. I have to assume that in On yes. Deadly Ground, he was in a better shape than Taft, who is famously yes. um, America's heaviest president. Uh, famously once really? got he was into... a big boy? Yes. He was well over 300 pounds at one point, I believe. He was the Wilford Brimley of presidents, it sounds He was like. very... He, I would say, thank you, James. I would say Taft is much more, ironically, like Wilford Brimley than he is like um, Forrest Taft. Forrest Taft. Ironically okay. enough, um, a famously once Taft loved a bath and famously once was at a hotel and got in a tub <laughs> and so much water and uh, kind of was displaced by him getting in the tub. And that was tub was so heavy that um, that it all leaked through and fell through into the dining room below. So he didn't go through, but all the water that he displaced did go through kind of soaking oh, um, the diners in uh, Taft's um, kind of sweaty bath water. Oh, imagine, oh, my dinner's been ruined because the president's taken a bath. (laughs) Yes, truly. That was the vibe. So I think to answer your question, they were exactly the same. Right. James, I don't remember. I have a bad short-term memory, but what did you read about a scene where Forrest Taft takes, he hops in the tub and there's a little bit of a splish-splash problem? Yeah, was that in there? Yeah. Maybe. I'm looking if there's any bathroom scenes or bathing scenes, and I'm not seeing it. I mean, the closest, truly, is dropping Michael Caine into a bucket of his own oil. Well, that's not dissimilar. Yeah. They, yeah. I feel like they were honored. I feel like that was their hat tip to President Taft um, <laughs> when <laughs> they designed that scene. How, can I just, like, how insane is it that they named the guy Forrest, and he's like... <laughs> destroying an oil refinery to save the environment. Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> I didn't even think of that. Like, if you wrote this and were like, should we name him Forrest? Don't you think everyone would be like, oh, that's ridiculous? Yes. That's insane. Anyway. I bet Steven Seagal needed to have those huge, you know, big, obvious metaphors in there, or else he was going to walk away from the project, you know? Yes. <laughs> well, he was the director. As we said, yeah. this was a Steven Seagal joint. He needed those big kind of metaphor signposts to help him get through the film, I think. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I can't imagine Steven directing Michael Caine, too. <laughs> he's such a... He's, like, he's so out to I was lunch. in I'm Alfie. Sure was... <laughs> I was in Get Carter. I was in yeah. the Italian job. And now I'm in Steven, this one. how should I approach this scene? Great. I'm so <laughs> glad you asked, Michael. Um, I have some information here that you guys might find interesting. Uh, the budget of On Deadly Ground was $50 million. And Holy shit. It, uh, it's, it's box office return. So it cost $50 million and it made $38.6 <laughs> <laughs> Hey, 
That's like 80% of their investment back. Not bad. Pretty good. Wow, that's really funny. What, what was movie? the critical reception of the movie? I assume you're Ooh. on Wikipedia. I'd love to know. Um, it has a 10% freshness rating on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that's um. pretty bad. I'm pretty sure, 10%. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure I remember a clip from this movie. I'm almost positive, and it's coming back to me, where, you know, some henchman, possibly the New Orleans mercenary, is in the Alaskan bar and points a gun at Seagal. And then I believe Steven Seagal puts his finger in the gun and it like <laughs> doesn't go. Like using some sort of mysticism. I'm almost using positive Bugs that's Bunny technology. <laughs> yeah, but it was sort of like music started playing when he poked his finger in the gun. I'm almost sure that's yeah. this movie. So we're to believe that his time with this tribe has has naturally transferred to him some kind of mystical um, yes eco powers. Yes, he did a vision quest. He avoided the hot, sexy babe and picked an old lady. So smart. And then he woke up with powers. <laughs> so smart if that comes up for any of the listeners at home. That is yes. the right choice. Yes. Wow. Uh, and it's. I'm reading here that there is a, a post-credits sequence where oh Seagal's like the character Avengers? Forrest Taft. Yeah, yeah. That's where the Avengers got the idea. Um, okay. There's a post-credit sequence where Taft returns home after the whole ordeal is over. He's released from jail, and um, <laughs> he walks into his house. And who do we see uh, lying in his bed? He follows a trail of rose petals, but the old lady. <gasps> oh. <laughs> Wow, that's he looks such a at the great camera. ending. Yeah, he looks at the camera and says, no peeking. And then it, uh, <laughs> it sort of fades to black. Oh, I, and I heard actually that they added, a, there, there was another little part to that ending where um, oh. the old lady's in the bed and Steven Seagal looks at the old lady and then looks to camera and he goes, um, you know, uh, I know I'm not supposed to like oil. And then he pulls out some sexy body oil and he goes, <gasps> but this kind's all right. And then he squirts the oil all over the old lady and rubs her whole naked body. So, Whoa. yeah. That's hot. Yeah. Have you heard yeah, of any other really wild? <laughs> have you heard of any other post credit sequences that, ha- that are in On Deadly Ground, Ebony? Um, well, they always do like a bit of a villain thing. Um, so, yep. uh, yeah, there is one where it just, um, it just focuses, uh, <laughs> closer and closer and closer on the oil vat where Michael drowned. Yeah. Uh, and mm. then, and then there's like a, a little burble and you can just hear out of the burble, like just like a little bit of like a, a Cockney accent coming out, but you don't know quite <laughs> what it's saying. Like it just reminds something like, you know how they like rhyme everything. So it's just like, yeah. you know, it'd be like a uh, bit, bit of a boil. And you realize he's talking about oil. And or then maybe you realize that like, there is um, going to be a sequel where he's kind of a swamp, oh. swamp thing kind of. Um, or maybe shit. Michael's like. Onions and chives. I'm still alive. Exactly. That's better. Yeah. That's probably what it was. Um, wow. And Steven Seagal wasn't supposed to be in the sequel. It was just the old lady versus Michael Caine covered in oil. And and it's actually a Whoa. romantic comedy. <laughs> Man. I'd, I'd love to see it. really it. changes the tone. Yeah. Never got released, but apparently it's a beautiful movie. We've got to watch know, it. What? Yeah. When we started this episode, I had no idea that this was going to be a scene <laughs> so for scene content. review <laughs> yeah. on Deadly Ground. But here we are, and it's very nice. 
I didn't either. And I also, by the way, you know what? I'm just looking it up here. Uh, On Deadly Ground did have six nominations of the 1994 Golden Raspberries. Oh. Which, you know, are those cheeky, rude, uh, rude awards that they give to the worst movies. Worst actress, Rudy. worst actor, worst director, worst picture, worst screenplay, worst original song, which I wonder worst if Steven wrote. Worst original song? It's called Under the Same Sun. Okay. We got to listen to that. I'd l- I wonder if uh, there's a music video. Oh, my God. All right. Let me look this up. Under the Same Sun. Because he's a musician. He's an accomplished uh, bluesman. And uh, I know, James, you have... Sometimes listen to his uh, or watch his YouTube videos. You like them? Yes. Yes. Stephen has one song where he keeps referring to Punani. That is. <laughs> yeah. It's hard not to. It's hard not to listen to, folks. If you Google Stephen Seagal Punani, probably he has a song where he's like, and I'm and that just... works with any smelling of Punani. <laughs> yes, and uh, I'm just imitating Stephen Seagal here. I'm not endorsing using these this slang. But Steven Seagal has a song where he kind of sings like, Me want the punani. He, he sings, Me want the punani. I'm well, not he's kidding. a man who knows what he wants. When Google we, it, we guys. We have to hand it to him, you know? Well, I, I'm, I'm not sure where I can find this I song I wish he'd here. sung, Me want the punani, when he chose the old lady in his vision quest. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That would be great. And then she looks at the camera and she goes, oh, Whatever you say. Or like, or, uh, no. Yeah, well, or Steven Seagal could see the old lady on the bed and look to camera and go, Me want the punani. And then the lady on the bed could turn to camera and go, Me got the punani. <laughs> and yeah. then, you know? Yeah. They yeah. get it on. They get it on. And then there's just shots of Michael Caine alone covered in oil, kind of do, doing like a dance you can follow along with. It. I think he, I think he wants to poon on it. I think he and wants I think to poon on it. it. <laughs> <laughs> and I think we all oh. understand why. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, do you think Michael Caine ever said Poonani? Oh yeah, he in um. What's that movie he was in? Um, uh, he was in Austin <laughs> Powers 3. And that's where okay. he said it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Gold member. Uh, sorry, what were you about to say, Michael, before I interrupted? Oh, no problem. Um, I was j- I'm was. i just looking at the On Deadly Ground poster here, and I'd like to read the... Is this the like the movie... Is it the slug line, or what do they call it? The, the, oh, the, the tagline. I was just... I was just looking tagline. at the tagline, and it's very good. So it's a picture of him holding a gun. Looking, There's a burning oil rig behind him, and he's wearing a buckskin jacket, and he has a, a very serious look on his face. And uh, the name Steven Seagal is up there in b- a big font. And then it says, His battle to save the Alaskan wilderness and protect its people can only be won, dot, 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 on deadly ground. On deadly ground. Yes. Wow. And, uh, I like it yeah. feels like they added and to, to protect his pe- its people like there's a way that like he couldn't pick between those two <laughs> ideas so he added both but it feels yeah. like feels like a bit of like a mission statement that gets too long you know <laughs> <laughs> I agree <laughs> Variety said that uh, this movie was quote a vanity project a, a vanity production parading as a social statement how about yeah. that? that's harsh 
That's a bit harsh. <laughs> Rude. I think the movie would have done better at the old box office if they hadn't called it on deadly ground, because you don't know what you're getting. They should have called it um, <laughs> Steven Seagal in The Adventures of uh, Forrest Taft, and then it would have made $200, $300 million. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, and then he could have had a whole franchise. Also, so Steven Seagal had done like five movies before this. And then this mm-hmm. is his first directing, like first opportunity to ju- direct, it seems. And he gets yeah. a $50 million budget? Does that seem nuts? Like, don't you think the first opportunity he had to like, okay, he wants to do his own project, it'd be like a low budget thing? And wouldn't you also I think guess... that if this, like, if this is his big vanity project, that he wouldn't have chosen to do exactly what he does in every other movie with no deviance from his ordinary <laughs> character style or plot? <laughs> It's my like, chance to spread my wings. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you think he would have done a romance or a comedy or like a drama or show and he could do something else but just being like, I just want to do more of the same, but on my terms. So is this, do you think that he got this crazy like amount of money and power because he had been in some like kind of big hits and then they were like, well, they, he sells tickets to like Under Siege or whatever the hell and then, and don't they, then yeah, they're don't like, they oh sort no, of he's it. an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, don't they sort of say that oh, was like no. the dream time for Hollywood where there was so much money like for movies and stuff like that? I don't know. He he was a stuntman, apparently, I'm looking here, prior to being a film star. And then that prior to On Deadly Ground, he had done Above the Law, Hard to Kill, Marked for, Just- Marked for Death, Out for Justice, Under Siege. So I guess he had just become a star fast. That's wild. Under Siege made $156 million. So Wow. Yeah, he was, wow. Yeah. And that movie, that movie was so good. <laughs> All right. It was. Um, That's the one. Who jumps out I of the cake? Gary Busey. Uh, <laughs> oh, he's. <laughs> or does he? Oh, no. No, he doesn't. Or maybe he does. I think it might be. Am I thinking, because like, there's a scene where I think there's like a topless lady jumps out of a cake. But does Gary Busey also do that? Or is he. Is it, yeah, at am, some point, the topless lady gets swapped out for Gary Busey, and Gary Busey's uh, on a catwalk with, like, very ridiculous fake breasts, kind of being like, ooh, 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 for a long time. <laughs> and, like, the guy, it's, like, very disconcerting, and no one, and the men are supposed to be laughing, but you can tell even the extras are like, I don't like this. Um, and it goes on for a long time. And this is, like, what, he's doing this for so long that it allows Tommy Lee Jones's men to start, like, planting explosives all over the boat like i believe it keeps <laughs> cutting back to that action and then more of gary Busey just going Woo! it's really, it really breaks the the rules of, of screenwriting but it does it in a very joyful way and it's good yes that's if you're gonna break a rule have fun with it why was gary Busey <laughs> famous like did he what did what did you say he won the oscar for the buddy holly story he won an oscar um for playing buddy holly he was Weird. buddy holly not who you'd ex- think to cast. Oh, no, he's a very big a man, too. Buddy guy? Holly, quite small. Cast Jean Claude Van Damme as Buddy Holly. <laughs> I think it was the first time they used green screen technology um, to shrink Gary Busey uh, in, <laughs> after the fact. So they shot all of his scenes solo. So he was just interacting with, <laughs> uh, with nothing. And then they green screened him into scenes with other actors. Okay. Wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah well, <laughs> that doesn't earn you an Oscar. I don't know what does. Absolutely. 
Um, I, I'm just having a memory just <coughs> very quickly. I believe it was Exit Wounds with Steven Seagal and DMX. I, I watched that, and I think it was that movie. It was really good. And there's a scene where um, Steven Seagal, I think, was like an amazing cop, but he did something and was kind of demoted to traffic cop. And I remember um, there's a scene where he's like having to work as a traffic cop, and it sucks. And I, I believe they literally play... I feel good. Da, 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 da. And he's like <laughs> trying to be a traffic cop and be like, come here, stop. And just like so frustrated. And um, a, a younger sort of intimidated cop comes up to Steven Seagal and he goes, hey, are the rumors about you true? I heard a story that you once killed a perp with a dead cat. And then Steven Seagal's like, that ain't true. And then the guy goes, oh, okay. And then Steven Seagal goes, the cat was still alive. Oh shit! How about that? How about that? God damn it! I wonder how he remembered that those lines. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, I need to make a correction. Uh, Gary Busey was only nominated for an Oscar for the Buddy Holly story. He didn't win, but he was okay. still nominated. Who did he lose to? Um. Uh, let's see. Let's see. It was. Oh, I can't find it. I don't know. Uh. That we'll have to announce it on next. A week's episode. <laughs> It'd be I'm funny if it wrong. was someone w- like if it was like Daniel Day Lewis in my left foot or something that was just like. <laughs> <laughs> but yes. that would have been stunning if he had won. I would have been stunned. Upset of the of the century. Man, it was he lost to Richard Dreyfus for the Goodbye Girl. There we go. Okay. Oh. Richard Dreyfus. Legends. Richard Dreyfus. Wow. Well, um. My was God. there anything else? I mean, we 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 absolutely did fifty minutes on on deadly ground, and I did not see that coming. Nor did no. I. I mean, I almost feel you know spent. I don't. I have nothing else to say. <laughs> I um, wish we could have oh, sorry. Um, Forrest Taft on as a guest next week, but it's impossible because he doesn't exist. Uh. I wonder if if um, Stephen is pitching movies out in Russia. Does, I mean, surely there's the, you know the president of Gazprom or something, uh, you know, is in touch with Stephen. Like he must, Stephen must be like reaching out to these guys to fund his vanity projects. No, I think he is. His Instagram has a thing from December about his newest movie called Beyond the Law, and he looks like he just looks like shit in the poster. And uh, I think he's funded by like. Eastern European gangsters or something like all those movies wow. now. I wonder if he's just going to become like Russia's Goebbels and just like become the propaganda uh, master of <laughs> Russia. Well, I mean, this is sort of an old thing, but Evany, did you see the the clip of of Steven Seagal in Russia doing martial arts and clearly being fat and tired and not really doing anything? But but the his opponents like acting as though he, you know, did some amazing martial arts move on them and flying away, and, and he's like. Clearly, it's faked. Have you seen that? You know yes, what I'm talking I have. about, Mike. And the other guy's doing so yeah. much work to just throw himself around. <laughs> yeah, Steven Seagal it's so just slowly funny. moves one arm. It's very funny. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, it's like yeah. a guy underwater moving his arms. You know, like he's like, <laughs> and the guys are like, "Whoa!" Um, God bless Stephen. God bless Stephen. I'm so glad I braved COVID nineteen to come over here and talk about the work. The one-time directorial I, work of Steven Seagal. I reversed my position, and I also am, am thankful that you uh, you broke quarantine and you, you came here. I know all of the recommendations are to stay inside and stay home, mm-hmm. and ordinarily I would have. I mean, even for a sick parent, I wouldn't have gone out. But for this, it just seemed like, well, it's important. <laughs> it's f- film history. 
And as you said, Absolutely. I'm a, a known historian, so I had to. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I know. It, it, it's it's just the truth. Um, well, is there anything else? Anything else we wanted to talk about, Ebony? Um, now you have a show out on Crave. I do. I do. It's called New Eden, uh, and you can get a free month of Crave right now. They're really splashing it out because everyone's home. So Ooh. if you don't have Crave, you can go ahead and get it and give the show a watch. Um, I do do all my own stunts in it, but they're far fewer than. Um, but that's than that's Stevens. true, isn't it? You you <laughs> genuinely genuinely did stunts, didn't you? I did. I did like four stunts. One of the stunts was just me falling onto my knees, but that technically counts as a stunt. They still have to bring in someone and put oh, pads on you, and like there's two people helping you just like quietly go from standing to a knee position. It's <laughs> crazy what you can get away with calling a stunt. And didn't wow. a man like throw you to the ground and stuff? A man threw me to the ground, and then at one point, very Ella Steven Seagal, I have to punch a man, but I don't really punch him. But it was an actor who, like, I would just kind of move my arm, and then he would do, like, a full backflip onto the ground. Like, I punched him so hard, but I was full Seagaling that. But Whoa. it looked good. When you, you, look, you look like you could really punch somebody. A genuine, you know, some people, I don't, I think if I try, did a punch, I'm not sure it would look right. I don't, I doubt with Mike as well, but you look like, you <laughs> really look good, you know, you could pull it off. Well, this was my vanity. Thank you, James. This was my vanity project, and I finally got the chance to write around my martial arts background. So, <laughs> New Eden, New Eden was just a big long con for you to finally do a punch on camera. <laughs> yeah, my partner Kaylored is mad at me. <laughs> it's not what she wanted. All right, well, everyone, check out uh, New Eden on Crave, and um, uh, d- uh, don't check out anything James is up to. <laughs> just joking, uh, James. And New Eden, it's not available in the States yet, right, Evany? But you're hoping it'll be available in the States soon. Yes, and if you're a listener from the States, please just tell everyone how much you want to watch the show, and maybe we can make mm-hmm. it happen uh, via uh, channels I don't have access to. Sales! Mm. Get to Very work, good. American listeners. Write your yeah. senator and congressman. Yeah, they're not well, busy James, right they're now. They're not busy right now. <laughs> No, but um, everyone, check out uh, New Eden on Crave. Um, James and I both appear briefly. If you see us, you're oh. you're gonna do your own backflip from joy. Uh. And um, James, please don't leave the premises again, like you did this week, going to Brazil to judge the Miss Bum Bum contest. And uh, I'll see <laughs> you next week. All right, thanks, Avani. Bye, Mike. Bye. Bye.